what's that sound? That's the sound of Christmas and top fives happening. You've entered the First Issue Club Best Of Year in Review episode where we give you our top fives of our favorite categories. Yep, that's great. This is a two-part episode released over two weeks. That's how two-episode parts work, and this one is the first installment of a two-part episode. Talk like a normal person. <laughs> uh, sorry, this is a two-part episode, like that. So this week we have the best of top five lists. We're going to divide this up into two different episodes. And so this week we got best covers. Mm -hmm. We've got the best independent books, not including image. We need to name that category a little bit better. Miscellaneous. Miscellaneous. Potpourri. Miscellaneous independent books. Okay. Surprise hits of 2018 is in this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Greg's going to tweet all of the lists out, all the top five best ofs that we have. You can argue with us. You'll be wrong. If you but we feel. love to argue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Think of it this way. We may be thinking for you, but if we're always right, that means you're always right as well. I'm Greg. I'm Budget King. I'm Caitlin. Also Mike. <laughs> a little bit of Marvel in your life. A little bit of DC was super nice. A little bit of image really went well. And other publishers, they did cool. Now it's time to do the episode where we talk about the best of stuff. We liked a lot of stuff this year, so we're going to talk about it here. I am super excited <laughs> to start talking about the best of 2018. I really want to get these top fives because I think we all have a lot of opinions. We all have a lot of things to share and talk about. So let's get this podcast started. Gonna go through our top five biggest surprises of 2018 comic books that surprised the hell out of us. Coming in at number five, the best comic book surprise of the year was Century. Let me speak to this one a little bit. You know, we covered the first issue of this book, and I think we were a little crossed about whether we liked it or not. Jeff Lemire is one of our favorite authors, I think it's safe to say. He kills a lot of the things he does. But Sentry is also such a bogus character and had, like, maybe, sorry to the creative team, but had maybe the worst covers. Oh, literally the worst cover (laughs) art I've ever seen. Any comic this entire year. Didn't do itself any favors. And so I think, like, when you looked at this book on the shelf, it looked like one of the biggest throwaway jack-off superhero comics of the entire year. Right. And to get something that was very heady, dealt with like another dimension, but also with like depression and putting off your real feelings and yeah. the, the metaphors that lied within the symbolism of the alternate dimension to like escape into. This book was heavy and it was legit and it was well written, looked like trash and had a had an uneasy start to it. Number two, it came alive. But you had to have yeah. made it past the clunky number one, and I'm not sure a lot of people did. I doubt it. Uh, I it, barely picked up the second issue. I think I, I was, was try- so glad I did. Coming in number four as the 2018 surprise comic book of the year, Lockjaw. By, by Kibble Smith himself. Yes. He's a contributing writer, and I think he's one of the head editors at Clickhole. One of the funnier Onion-esque websites that are out right now. And we were all pretty excited as a group to see him make the transition into comic books. I believe Lockjaw was his debut as far as writing. Personally, I think he knocked it out of the park. He really made the character of Lockjaw more lovable, if you can imagine, a giant bulldog being. And then he introduced 
reintroduced Demolition Man, who was kind of a B-list superhero yep. and made him more of a defined character. Which is one of my favorite things in comic books is to take like forgotten throwaway character and give them more depth. It's something that's happening a lot more in comic books lately. Like Sentry. Like Sentry, exactly right. Coming in at number three, surprise pick of the year for 2018 was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Urban Legends out on IDW. We got into the territory here where we started having a really hard time ranking these. Because TMNT Urban Legends, I think, was one of the one of my favorite books of the entire year, period. It was phenomenal. And if you don't know much about it, we did cover the first issue on this podcast, but it's a throwback or a continuation of the very, very original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. So it's written in that very adult, pulpy, 90s format. And the fact, like, the fact that they stay so true to the vibe of that series was a treat all in its own. But then to get the intensity of the story that we got uh, blew me away. I'm still reading this story arc, which I think was only intended to go a few books. So here, here's the, the caveat to this whole thing was that Image did this, I think, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. It was a short run in the violent era of the Ninja Turtle of the Turtles. Yep. It ended abruptly. So IDW colored it, recolored it, and it released. But every book that is now being written by that team is is new to the series. Eight comes out this week. And so th- IDW is now just adding to this story from the 90s, which is, makes it even more amazing. Yeah. Do you think being like growing up uh, at our age, big late 80s, early 90s cartoon mm-hmm. fans... Uh, one of us has a Krang tattoo in here. This is true. <laughs> uh, how? What was it like reading this comic book? It, it was a stark change from the cartoons and the comic books that we that I specifically grew up with. I had never read the original 90s image book. I didn't until I was an adult. So I, I knew that they had gotten more lewd, crude, uh, and all that kind of stuff. But I, I didn't. As a child, I was not a fan of... I didn't know about that. I just knew about the cartoons and the movies. So it's certainly fun to revisit these characters as adults and have adult versions of them. But there was something about having known the cartoon world as like a safe place where everything turns out okay. And then seeing in the first issue, like, Raphael's face gets like half melted off. (laughs) And then in the next issue, Donatello falls from a helicopter and shatters his spine and like becomes a cyborg. Yeah, can't walk ever again, so he has to like inhabit a cyborg bodysuit. There are heavy changes that have repercussions on the series moving forward in a very permanent way that you're just not used to seeing in comic books that you have typically these very timeless characters right. in stories with zero repercussions for how the characters evolve moving forward. So I think it's been Super refreshing as a not only a comic book fan, but as a fan of, you know, cart these cartoons growing up to see these characters used yeah. in such an interesting and su- like very surprising way. Well, I think I, even I, more specifically those characters in general, the turtles, because they, I think, have become their own brand, mm-hmm. and I feel like when you get to that level of popularity, more hands get into controlling the imagery and how they're perceived. So to see this book finally come out after 20 years, right? Is it was kind of uh, uh, abrasive the first few pages. I was like, what the fuck is this? Well, and I know, and some of like the... It's almost like fan fiction. Well, some of the characters are like a little sexist. And, yeah. And it's just kind of bizarre seeing something that you like, such a huge, iconic cultural character saying this or saying that and, ha- like, being able to use it in that way. And so, yeah, they, they do say some, like, things that are inac- that they probably shouldn't say Uncouth. anymore. Yeah. Um, this year also, I think probably partially because of this book, led to the publication, the republication of Body Count, which was a, yeah. a, a five-part, or a trade, um, also with Ninja Turtles, that claims to have the most deaths in any comic, a Ninja Holy Turtles uh, book. Um, and so, yeah, 
Good year for the turtles. But, Killer uh, year for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I can't say so fitting of a top three spot on a surprises list. I can't. I can't say how little I expected from this book and right. how much I got out of there, it. Not only shock value, but like how much I actually like appreciated. Totally. It. Coming in at number two for the surprise comic book of 2018, RoboCop: Citizens Arrest. I think anytime I see a book that uses a art like intellectual property that's already like hugely popular in movie format and it's being reused to print like a separate media and capitalize on that immediately throw away in my brain right like it's hard to really take it seriously they do all kinds of com- we got a John Wick comic book like last year Which was that, terrible. that was god awful but you see this- number 4 is coming out this week that's how long that book is oh taken to oh my god it's been like a year yeah. but all the time you see things where it's like video games turned into comic books and old tv shows and old movies turned into comic books and n- normally they're cash grabs that writers and artists haven't invested a lot of their time in because the publisher just got the rights to this thing for whatever reason and they want to cash some checks this book, however, tells a great ground-up story using the characters from an IP that you may uh, love or be a fan of, but isn't contingent upon fandom of the original series. And I think it took it in a creative new direction that's like, as a, even a somewhat fan of the series, like, in my head, like, this is now, like, canon for the RoboCop universe. Like, it's so impactful, and the story was so well thought out and intriguing from start to finish. If you liked it all what the movie had done um, and kind of, like, critiqued the idea of institution, like, police state, what a robot would do on crime and, like, how to, like, review justice, kind of in the way that, like, Judge Dredd does, you would like this book. The number one surprise for 2018 comic books was Unnatural out on Image Comics. Sexy animals getting it done. So this uh, cover, we we didn't know anything about the author or the, uh, the team, the creative team at all. It was just a really, really sexy pig. Uh, showing a lot of cleavage. The last issue I bought, she straight up has nipple on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> Not blurred out. <laughs> kind of insane. That surprised me to show nipple on a cover of like a mainstream large publisher comic. And not cover it up or polybag it like old porn. <laughs> I was super surprised. We This book looked like uh, a booby comic, which we don't we typically don't cover those. We're not really the audience for that. And yeah, if you don't know, there are tons of comics that come out each week that are essentially just like huge, massive boobs, four inch waists, thirty inch hips, <laughs> just like ridiculous characters yeah. that are just like comic smut. And this certainly <laughs> on the shelves looked like comic smut. It it couldn't have been anything else from and the covers but comic smut. I remember buying this at our comic shop and the lady at the counter being like, you boys are nasty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how else do you buy this book without blushing or... I know, and it was so... It's At the time, it seemed so campy and goofy that I was just like, I just have to get this because it seems just, like, so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to, like, hate read it. Mm -hmm. Like, in my head, there was no way that this book was going to be good. Right. And then, of course, we found out. It's amazing. Absolute insanity. This book is, it's so sex positive. Yes. It's so uh, gender bendery. I think it's kind of alluding to a lot of, like, transphobia or at least dealing with, like, that definitely like sexuality sexual um awakening mm-hmm. stories the basic premise of this book is that animals are like people but they have to mate with their own kind so pigs need to mate with pigs wolves with wolves um so and on so, and so, so on. yeah and then if they don't pick their mate the government supplies it for them but in that world if that weren't enough really our main character is like basically just completely sexually repressed and we get visions of like her dreams and all of this type of stuff it's she's just like such a fun character 
to follow in this world as well. I can't imagine something more progressive and like more now than this comic book. It's everything you want independent comic books to be. Like when mm-hmm. you th- when I think of comic books, I think of something that pushes boundaries and attracts like the weird crazy artists who need to tell like the progressive types of stories that are going to carry out into other media in the future. Like this is the first place these things get told because it's like the safest space and you're having, you know, cool uh fringe sort of people who are reading these sorts of things, right? Like, those are the sort of people who are attracted to comic books and nerddom and all that stuff. I would have expected to see a lot more things like this in 2018 in the comic book landscape. To my pleasure, there were, like, a handful of comics that starred minority characters and trans characters, but disappointingly, not many to this extent that were so blunt and forward with their message as unnatural was. This book was unapologetic. It was unapologetic. The art style of it was so in-your-face. The way they tell it is so fringe and punk rock. Everything about it is just shocks me from point A to point Z. And so one interesting thing about this book is uh, the creator and illustrator, Mirka Indolfo, uh, is an illustr an Italian illustrator and author. Had been mostly known for like doing some DC kind of bombshell covers, things like that. I think this book actually has already run its course in Italy and is being translated and released here on Image. I didn't know that. Um, and so I don't know if it's. I, I I imagine maybe they're both going on simultaneously. She's now nominated for some Glad awards, but killing it. I bet we're one of the only outlets that probably put this book in a number one spot of any list i think in in years when people look back on this book that this it's it's going to be more impactful to the comic book landscape than definitely it appears to a lot of people yeah 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 next up we've got the 2018 best covers in at number five best cover for 2018 we have isola number one this is a comic we covered early on in 2018, the covers all look like the best hip-hop albums you would ever buy. And number one fucking blew it out of the park. It was insanity. Yeah, this cover, I think, as soon as I saw it, I was like, I'm going to love this comic book. I was so stoked to buy it. I was like, I need to make sure I get the first issue, first print. I know this is going to be like an epic series. And I was so jazzed on the cover that I was ultimately, like, let down by the comic book. (laughs) And I think it's something that ended up paying off for me. The comic book got a lot better. Yeah, as you read through it, like, the story kept getting better and better and better, and I'm still buying it to Mm -hmm. this day. But, oh my god, I was like, the expectations I set on this cover and the artwork of the comic book alone could, like, not be met by anybody's story they could put in pages the design was honestly like i would move this up higher the only reason why we put it at five is the cover itself is amazing because of the design work the illustration is beautiful but the like actual designiness of it is what makes it so good and we kind of felt like we we needed to recognize artwork more so so that's why it didn't get higher the font they chose for the cover title is just like futuristic yet super modern it's done with like a really grungy tone there's isola is written in a certain text and then city is written in another text that seems way more ancient and less futuristic and way less bold and the contrast of those things makes for like a super cool iconic logo and lends itself to the type of story that the comic is like really really well and so that's just something graphically that is an achievement in itself. Coming in at number four for 2018, best cover was Shuri, number one out on Marvel. We gushed over this cover. It was fucking insanity. So good. I am so happy to, to own that cover. This is Leonardo Romero. I, it, to me, it captured what that book was. It made this like central female um, 
what we think will probably take the mantle of Black Panther. We're speculating. Just a really great story. I think, like we said on the last list that we did, like at number three was when we had a hard time with Mm -hmm. ranking and saying where we were going to put certain things. This one, like, to me, could have very easily been number one. Like, what a fucking gorgeous cover. To have the realism of this character who doesn't often get the spotlight just spoke to the uniqueness of this series that we're giving an African woman character like her own series and she's looking at you like head on and the realism style of the character was just super striking. Those bright colors that they use are reminiscent of that kind of African style. These really hard lines that also, just like Isola, combine that super traditional aspect of the like African style and garb, but at the same time are really reaching into the future and futurism and like what like we say like afrofuturism is like a huge theme for the black panther character like mm. especially this year and moving forward seems to be like a way heavier theme with those comic books by also, the way the covers don't drop off at all they're still really they're good. gorgeous yeah. to this date and i would say if you read this comic book and think it's garbage which it isn't fuck you if you don't like this comic book <laughs> but i mean it's worth having in your collection just based on the beautiful cover art alone I know there's that old adage that you can't judge a book by its cover, but I think for comic books, <laughs> it's a little. It has to be a little it, different. Yeah, it is a little different. Th- these are billboards essentially that you need. You're you're in competition with a lot of other billboards mm-hmm. in a small area, so it's it, you kind of do have to judge a book by its cover well, a little bit. And like we said, how much was how important was that when we talked about our surprise issues? That like these some books look terrible based on the and we can judge a lot that like they're going to be throwaway dumb superhero comic books based on their covers and then the fact that they had depth surprised us like if Sentry for example would have had this stark contrasting character staring staring me dead in the eyes in a more real realism sort of sense that I would I would say hey I'm going to get this interesting story that's going to speak to me about who this man is at a core. Mm-hmm. Right. Coming in at number three for cover of the year, 2018, Aliens Dust to Dust Covers. I'm going to call this the Dust to Dust Covers series um, by Carlos Donda. He is not a comic book artist. or Sorry, he's not an artist on this uh, comic. He is just the cover artist. This is also utilizing a lot of symmetry. Every single one of these covers looks like a Mondo poster that you would purchase very like hot pink, hot uh, like neon blues with the xenomorphs, fucking insane. And I, I, I mean, it doesn't hurt that we're all big aliens fans. So getting these like just iconic books, I will say, dust to dust. I only bought for the covers. Not a great series by Dark Horse, but the covers alone are worth it. Exact same situation for me here. I. Could not have cared less about the theme of this, the story. And I think even after two issues, I stopped reading this but kept buying the series just because the art was so striking. The use of color uh, stays consistent kind of throughout the arc of the story and all the different covers that we're getting. And you're just getting these really intense views of the alien-type characters. They're, a lot of them are head-on and like facing you forward. They seem like they've got this intense presence and history by the way that they're flanked with these kind of like traditional looking patterns and curves that look like a vintage sort of frame, but they're made out of that like bizarre, weird alien shit that's that kind of, what's the artist's name? Uh, Geiger. Like oh. those like H.R. Geiger-esque like weird textures and bony. There's also a lot of negative space on the covers too, which I think is striking. I mean, the thing is with a hundred books coming out each week, Yep, you have to have a, a, like a comic book that like really pushes the boundaries to catch the eyes yep. anymore. Um, and this comic book totally did that. It was One, amazing. 100%. I think there's 
I don't have a ton to speak to about the series itself, but I think I think the fact that we don't have a hell of a lot to say about the series itself, but the covers kept us <laughs> invested in the story, is is enough alone. It's funny that all three of these that you guys have are like like one person standing head on, looking right, right at the. I know. I kind of felt bad about that. I was like, man, we definitely have a type of. Why don't? Type. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the other two are, but I think it's, like, interesting. Just that that's, like, a design that appeals as a theme so far. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of symmetry that we like. Yeah, well, and I think it just speaks to, like, having a striking image that's intense and addresses the reader in a way that, ha- like, makes you make a connection with what's happening on the cover, right? Yeah. So let's keep going. We got number two, best cover of the year, Milk Wars, out on DC. This could be two different things. One, it could be the Mother Panic Batman cover. It could also be just the straight Milk Wars uh, Doom Patrol uh, cover. It's essentially the same icon. One is Batman as a priest coming down. The other one is a milk delivery person flying down from heaven, delivering milk to salvation. These covers are... (laughs) Absolute bonkers insanity and the definition of drawing something cool that's going to make somebody pick up something. Ty Templeton is the author here. Yep. Oh, there's a third one that I missed. Which a is Wonder Woman is like a house, like a 1950s housewife. Flying down. If, if you could get the virgins of these, I think they sell pretty well. Um, but even not, if you just own these, they're... I mean, Batman has never been made to look more cool <laughs> while at the same time being uh, reverent and, like, um, nice-looking <laughs> as yeah. a priest. Uh, it's insane. I don't know. I like, mean, these are—the the characters themselves are so iconic on their own, right? And the fact that we're putting them in these, like, 1950s, like, old-school archetypes and representing them in a way where they seem, like— even more transcendent maybe of the character themselves. Like we're giving Batman is like a priest and that image just seems like a symbol of Catholicism and darkness and an unholy nature and like classic things all at once and how he's holding the the Bible in his left hand and holding up his right hand kind of strikes you as like, this is the man who... Like a patron saint. That, like he's a patron saint who determines like justice, right? Which is what Batman is to us. He's this like iconic hero who doles out justice. And so this was from the series, the Young Animal series by uh, Gerard Way. And I think like when this got pitched to DC and they're like, we're going to make like a world where there's like milkmen's at 1950s and then the superheroes come there. DC was like, uh, fine. Um, <laughs> but just like, was I, as somebody had to say, make a fucking epic co- mm-hmm. uh, cover because it's like, this is too crazy to like not capitalize on. How, like the just pure bonkersness of this like series. We covered one of these issues in kind of like, not a throwaway episode, but a real quick episode where Mike and I were just the only ones kind of just banging through the books that that week. But that series was super good, super worth taking a look at. Really, really fucking fun. But these covers, as good as that series was, are still better than the the series. Like Superman as a milkman, like he looks... That's who it is. It's so it's Superman, right? As yeah. The, I, fr- I, I messed that up in the in the beginning, but that's, yeah. But I mean, like you don't even know that it's... You don't even have to know that it's Superman. Like, he's got nothing of the Superman uniform particularly on. But it's just there's something about, like, the whole, like, Jesus lighting behind him. And he's dressed in all white. And he's, like, when you think about the milkman, you just think about, like, milk and purity and a goody two-shoes and, like, all the white outfit. And the guy who's just, like, always at your door, always on time. Like, like so perfectly... Uh, good boy Superman. Yeah. And, oh my gosh. I, they're so striking. And yeah, I, Again, to yeah. Caitlin's point though, symmetry, looking straight at you. Um, and it that actually brings me, let's just go straight to number one because it's the only one that breaks the mold of this like symmetry yeah. uh, theme that we have going on. 
This is Magic Order, specifically number three out on Image. We covered this book series because at the time, well, we covered it because it was a great book and it was a Millar book, but also it got announced that it was going to be a Netflix show. First issue was good. The comic book got great. But this cover on number three is batshit fucking nuts crazy and is totally worth the pickup. I don't know that there's any even spec buying on this, just like how cool it looks, but Mm -hmm. the artwork on this was, oh my God. It's an entanglement of... uh, It's a fuck pit. Yeah, it's an orgy scene. Uh, So it's very kind of uh, on brand for something that we might pick (laughs) for this episode. And um, there's a character that's like in this this series that is... um, her outfits are bonded. She wears like a gimp mask. Um, and so she's the only color like character that has a, they're all wearing her, her, her mask, I guess. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Otherwise completely nude licking each other. Like it's just a entanglement of flesh, but it's done in the style of like uh classic oil painting. I think that looks <laughs> yeah. like, almost renaissance in yeah. a certain way and in in the back we're getting this like nice paisley pattern that's like a striking fiery red that's like popped and then like her leather mask with like the flesh tone of just like amorphous like just like arms and limbs and tongues and mouths everywhere like it's you couldn't you couldn't avoid this in your comic book shop that week. Like nope. anytime they did this cover in promos, I feel like you noticed it when it was in the comic book shop that week. It was just drew your eye from across the room. It's porny, it's pervy, it's alt, all the campy things that you just think about vintage comic books and alternative culture so forward and in your face but in a And and Come to find out, this character is the most interesting character in in the comic. 100%. All right, we're going to dip into a new category now for best ofs, top fives. This one is the miscellaneous publisher. So every independent publisher, what was the best top five? This is excluding Image. Image gets its own top five next week. But here we're going to do every independent publisher starting out at number five for 2018 was Motherlands on Vertigo? Vertigo, yeah. I had a huge hard-on for Motherlands. That book was so zany. Remind remind everybody what the premise was. So the premise is in the distant future, we've got bounty hunting sort of reality TV. There's this famous celebrity bounty hunter. Now her daughter has grown up as this kind of like chunkier little girl that doesn't live up to her like mother's like bombshell super reality TV like diva standards and gets shoved to the side. And we find our character in this first issue kind of like trying to live her own life. She's a bounty hunter and has taken like the family role but doesn't uh, live up to her mother's standards who we now find out is in a nursing home, has uh, diabetes, is overweight in this, like, weird machine chair that, like, gets her about. And so she's kind of delusional, has these grand notions about, like, how important she is and it still is to, like, all her fans. She goes to conventions and signs oh, yeah. pin-up pictures of herself. Ultimately, we find out our our lead, who is this daughter, now this bounty hunter, who is trying to find her brother, who has a huge bounty out for his head, was always the golden child that, like, could not be touched. So she's got this weird relationship with her mother, can never live up to her, you know, her standards. Way. I think a couple wins for this book for me were the mom is geriatric. I mean, she's old. Yeah. And so they're, they're a mother-daughter duo being bounty hunters. So that's pretty cool that we have, like, an elderly character. <laughs> the action does not... Uh, is not sacrificed at all for that that duo. Like, right. The action in the bounty hunting, and, and I think you said this, but we're just I'll just say it again for posterity. I guess this is set in the way future, so there's all these like um, things that happen in the society of their world of like how they cash in checks and things like that, and like the guns they use. Yeah. Like, they all kind of look like versions of cable. This book was. 
great. I didn't. I haven't stayed up on it, but what I am going to do, I'm going to pick it up and trade. And just as a good time to remind everybody here that all of most of these books we're going to cover are in trade. Great time to buy these and pick them up and go back and read them. Next up, coming in at number four for the best miscellaneous independent publishers was Quantum and Woody by none other than Kibblesmith. I mean, Quantum and Woody has classically been very funny comic book and i think valiant oh, yeah this is valiant so valiant yeah. does a really good job of of making their comic books accessible when they start new series bringing in humor and comedy into everything that they do um when it's called for at least quantum and woody are the prime example of humor and like a futuristic superhero sort of buddy cop relationship between characters. And they relaunched the series this past year, mm. had a cover stunt that kind of made fun of comic books in the comic book industry. They kept they kept up this like holographic thing that they did where they would just like randomize the holograms you would get. Is that what I'm that am I saying that right? Or is it like lithograph or it was a hologram. They yeah. bought a bunch of old hologram stock that was miscut from an old Canadian company and they the the purpose was they didn't want to to match up so every comic book was different so the gag was like this will be a collector's item because every comic that they print is going to be a one of one because none of it all (laughs) syncs up so they're just basically poking fun at the speculation market that is happening in comics since its literal creation of people wanting to sell number one collector's issues and they're just like well guess what fuckos all these are going to be worth ten cents. Because Much to their chagrin, though, they're like incentive variants did skyrocket and sell really. Oh, well. for sure. Well, like, they couldn't really control that, yeah. but I mean, but still, yeah, the joke landed in itself. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a f- really funny commentary on comic books and collecting and what used to make a collector's item in like the '90s with these like hokey, glowy covers. Right. So uh, we got another boom book uh, coming in at number three by one of our favorite authors and illustrators, Matt Kent. This is Black Badge. Now, Black Badge is only at, I think, four issues currently. Mm -hmm. Um, But every single one for me has just been a stunner and given me, like, just the pacing of it's been great. It gives you a little bit more every issue, but hasn't, like, blown the world wide open yet. It keeps me coming back. It keeps me interested in the nuance of each of the stories and the characters and who we're learning like a little bit more about each and every time. I think we loved the first issue. You can hear it if you hear our podcast when yep. we talk about that. Every issue does what the first issue did, pushes the limits of what you think violent Boy Scouts can do um, yep. and what they can get sent on and what missions they can accomplish. The covers for this uh, series, when Matt Kent always is doing like a variant cover of it, beautiful. They do a ton of like in between like writing within the corners and like a lot of like side gear thing, which he was really famous for doing in Mind MGMT. Um, so it has a lot of Matt Kent feels to it, which is like keeping up the book. And this this book is just... Lights out, good. Yeah, the, the artwork in it is kind of minimal in some spots, but it is beautifully done throughout the book. There's there's one issue where they go, they spend most of it in a mountain scene, and it is just the book's mostly white, but yeah. there's just little peppers of color everywhere, and there's a tiger following them, and it is like brilliant. I I love that issue. But it's hard to be like Quentin Tarantino and Wes Anderson at the same time and he just does it. (laughs) You're totally right. I don't think you can do it better. I remember trying to put my finger on one of the things that I certainly like loved about this book. Caitlin pointed out that even the paper that it was printed on was like very retro and nostalgic of these like younger age uh, magazines and like highlights sort of things that we would get. And so it has this like very real texture to it that you don't get in a lot of these like glossy newer comic books. I, I know we talk about we're kind of like burnt out on comics becoming TV shows or movies. Yeah. But for fuck's sake, make, make Black this Badge. a show. This yeah. needs to be a show or like <laughs> this is just like yeah. so much fun. Four issues in, I could see this being three seasons (laughs) yeah no joke (laughs) yeah all right coming in at number two on idw we have highest house by mike carey 
there is one reason why I hate Highest House, and there is a million reasons why I love it. The number one reason why I hate it is it is published in this weird fucking size that will not fit in any of your comic book boxes and is impossible to bag. It is magazine size technically, but it's even bigger and weirder than that. It's beautiful. It needs to be that size. It's like completely appropriate for how much art and gorgeousness and it stays to its color scheme, but it is an obnoxiously big book. This book is another scenario where it was actually published in, I think, somewhere else, like a different language, and we're getting it subsequently published in America. This author is also an accomplished sci-fi book writer. He wrote The Girl with All the Gifts, which is a cool sci-fi book that I read a while ago and is now a movie. You can watch it on Netflix. This comic book is nothing like that, but it is a comic book about an orphan child. Yep, figuring out the fucking craziness of highest house world. I love being a roofer. Yeah, I love the whole the intensity of the story gets into the specificity of like roofing and like roofing tools. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) but it's also this like coming of age, like realizing you have a greater purpose, but uh, there's a, a mystical and evil presence that's. Uh, playing a huge part in the story and developing and driving the characters and the narrative, and you don't, you never quite know who to trust, who's going to be an important part of the story moving forward, and who's like a negligible character, which is always an intriguing contrast between the characters. To Mike's point, gorgeous throughout. I mean, the large format of this allows them to do these beautiful spreads, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention. The covers, which were fucking beautiful, each and every single one of them. They do this really great partial semi-gloss treatment. So you've got these, like, shiny, concentrated characters, and then the background of them is more of a matte finish. Mm -hmm. And the way they popped off the shelf, I was like, there's no way I'm missing a single issue of this. Well, and and they were super intricate, right? Yeah, they were. Coming in at number one from Miscellaneous Independent Publishers, the best comic book in 2018 was Walk Through Hell, out on Aftershock by Garth Ennis. This was a horror book that we covered a while ago. Garth Ennis is obviously one of the most well-known authors in the comic book landscape. This comic book only got better. I liked it. You guys fucking loved it. Sell it to the audience. To me... So many striking iconic scenes throughout this story that there are things that are just passively occur like you just turn the page and there's something so striking and horrifying or or mystifying and like why did that happen and I've got to find out that for a singular book that's only six issues deep to have this many iconic identifying moments just blew me away. The The story is something that I feel like a lot of the comic books that we read and cover that we're stoked on um, give you a twist in the first issue and completely, for lack of a better term, blow their load. <laughs> well, like, like, here's my premise for like a great comic book idea. Now that gets me through one issue. Like, what the fuck do I do for the next six issues of it? Right. This book gave us a really intriguing concept in that first issue and has only dove deeper with the amount of intrigue that it's presented us. We're constantly getting, which I, I love this um, format of storytelling. Caitlin does too. It's something we always talk about with our CW books or uh, CW TV shows, is that we're striking back to what led us up to this point to contrast our current situation and story, which is very specific as it moves forward. We're We're continually getting more and more context that sets up the situation that we've been thrown into. And the way that they're balancing those two stories just keeps you driving through this book and it is horrific. Yeah. And it is intriguing. It's a it's a thriller and it's fun. It's like a cross section of so many genres. 
and they do it in such a seamless way, in my opinion. Well, it's like the examination of it is like you are set to believe of the the evil of the book is one thing. Yep. And then it just kind of keeps evolving and makes you kind of the 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 way to tell a good book is how when you close the book you 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 continue to think about it after you're done reading it to really examine what the hell did I just read? Yeah. How does how does it really kind of apply to the story and how do I it just kind of it keeps you guessing and not in a way it's just like what the fuck are they going to do? It's just yeah. like well how the fuck <laughs> What the fuck are they going to do? Like, this is insane. <laughs> I'll say the to comic book fans like us, the way a lot of us read comic books, and probably if you're listening to this podcast, this is probably a way you read comic books too, is that you buy so many every week that you've got a backlog at home that just, like, stacks and stacks and stacks. And so whenever I have spare time, I work through that stack, and I just read down, and I finish a comic book, and I move on to the next one. And every once in a while, there's a comic book that, you have to put down and stand up and walk it off and you want to text your buddies who also read comic books and say, like, fuck. Like, what the fuck just happened? And out That's of such a good way of putting this book. Out of the five or six issues that they've done, I feel like four of them have been that sort of book that I've just like stood up and like had to shake off. Yeah, or comic I've, support group. Or I've texted, like, I know our editor, Matt, like, loves this comic book, that I'll text Matt and just be like, Jesus, did you read the fourth one? Like, oh, my, like, all you have to say is, oh, my God. And your friend says, I know. <laughs> like, that's what this book is. Yeah. It's it's a shared experience. If you If you're the type who watches, like, Game of Thrones and, like, you just share that glance with your coworker that you know watches Game of Thrones like the next day after a new episode. Like that's what this comic book is like for me. All right. So this last one we had fun with. Um, we went ahead and ranked who we thought the best publishers were in 2018. Just giving them the old rank, all that kind of stuff. You understand how a ranking works. Uh <laughs> Coming in at five, we had Dark Horse, we think, had an epic year in 2018. Black Hammer got optioned, and there was a shit ton of Black Hammer stuff that happened. That's Jeff Lemire's um, baby for the last two years, two or three years. Yeah, that's um, really become a Dark Horse flagship at, right. for the last couple it's years. It's like their new Hellboy in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and then... Which, uh, speaking of... A ton of Hellboy side stories. Side stories. Rasputin and a handful of other books came out that... Or, like I loved the arcs of yeah Umbrella Academy, which also came is, back yeah, right. Yeah, Sword Daughter was another book that uh, has a really intriguing start that I've kept up on too. Beast of Burden, which didn't make any of our list, but was like amazing. I loved that one. So good. Alien Dust to Dust, which we had on here for um, covers. They had some Harrow uh, Harrow County came back. That's a Cullen Bunn book. It ended this year. Is that what it did? Yeah, sorry. It yeah. Ended. Okay, sorry. Yeah. It, 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 it ended on them. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. One thing I'll say about Dark Horse, at least in my own opinion, is that they're a very genre publisher. Everything seems like hyper, like, this book is horror. This book <laughs> is medieval yeah. fantasy. Everything kind of, like, fits a category that's, like, super, super genre. I'll say that even though they had a lot of books that are ongoing that were really good and a lot of new miniseries that were really good. There was nothing particularly from Dark Horse that was new this year that like shattered my expectations, which is why I think it ended up at five maybe for all of us. But it did, yes. Was that it did a lot of great things, but there was no like new flagship thing that I was like, this is my jam. But it beat out, and I don't want to say the ones it beat out because I don't want to like reveal what's next in the mm-hmm. top four. It beat out a ton of independence on our list yeah, right. um, for doing things. One thing it did really well and we did not cover is it's publishing right now the unpublished script from what was Aliens 3 by William Gibson. Mm-hmm. And that comic book series is great. And I don't know if you guys saw this cover that came out two weeks ago. Ooh, no. Um, Ooh. But just another example of how well they treat their third-party entities um, and how beautiful that is. Yeah, yeah, I think yikes. Dark Horse does a great job with their adaptation books that come out. All right, coming in at four for a publisher was Alterna Press. So we picked Alterna Press for a couple of, couple of reasons. The only book we covered by them all year was Go West, 
I'll just be candid, only covered because we did a reader poll and it like overwhelmingly won. You're right. Um, it, it was a fun book to cover and it's and it's fun. I got all three issues of it. Alternative Press, we're picking more so for really disrupting uh, the comic book landscape this year. They were able are able to publish all of their books at a dollar fifty. They're doing a different type of like print on the paper run, and they're publishing a lot of like really great stuff. Um, Blood Realm is a book that I've kept up on. Psycho Co is good. Zero Jupe, Zero Jumper. Um, a bunch of like just like kind of like awesome books all over the place. Doppelganger. Right. Doppelganger yeah. was amazing. Um, yeah, Doppelganger. Um, uh, lots of other stuff, and. They are releasing so much, so affordable. Like that, in and of itself, has the promise to change. They could change the comic book landscape if people embrace Alterna more. Yeah, I think not only was the dollar fifty price tag kind of a big thing for me this year, but the quality of the stories that they've been putting out really kind of equated to this like just overarching success for me. That just they they recognize that comic books aren't getting cheaper by the, as the years go on. They're actually getting more expensive. And I liked how they they cut back on maybe the the paper quality because they kind of went back they went back to newsprint, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun. It's that it has kind of that throwback feel to it. But making comic books a dollar fifty and you know, having quality stories just helps out us the readers kind of get more for our for our dollar. On my like pull list I just have it says like any number one from Alterna, just put it in my box. Yeah, because um, I'm just like fine. Like I want to reward the behavior that they are implementing. Here's where we get into the more hotly contested discussion of the year. Number three publisher of 2018, Image Comics. Here's what's interesting about this one: Image Comics for us and for our taste with podcasts. Honestly, is if you are listening to this, and this should come to no surprise, should normally be one or two, right? Uh, <laughs> and it the fact that it's three this year is actually probably just like probably the discussion's more about what Image Comics didn't do than what Image Comics did do this year. Now they had a huge year. They did this Netflix thing. If we're clowning Skybound and what they do, um, which we are, and <laughs> and and they do a lot of stuff. They just. The expectation for Image Comics is to, to drop us with something like a Paper Girls or a Saga or something like that. And and we, I, I think Gideon Falls was maybe their closest attempt at that, didn't quite get us in. Now, they had a fuck ton of awesome books, mm-hmm. but nothing that just like completely um, was Demolished like, the internet. Yeah. Which there, they, there was no real saga that came out or East of West. Those books continued throughout. 2018, uh, Saga went on a hiatus. Uh, East of West came back from a hiatus. Uh, Paper Girls was peppered in throughout the year, so uh, they tried to fill in most of 2018 with these, you know, creator-owned books. Some were great, most were great. Some really didn't hit the mark, but nothing really took off like uh, they typically do. I, I it's hard, it, it's weird that at least one image book a year kind of. Just yeah, makes it to goes, entertainment, entertainment Weekly. Goes, gang, <laughs> goes gangbusters. Yeah, I mean, you can't, like, in if you're talking, recommending comic books for somebody and they don't say Saga, like, I don't know what they're yeah. saying did, to you. Did God Country come out in 2017 did, or Yeah, it didn't come out this year. Yeah, okay. So that's why yeah. it didn't make curious. Yeah, so that there was a lot of that. I mean, they have great books, and it's so much so that, like, we're giving it its own category in next week's episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, we can list tons of books for you that came out this year that we loved. I mean, you, if if you listen to our pod, like like Mike said or Budget King said, if you listen to our podcast, you know that we love image books on a regular basis. We already gave Unnatural the number one surprise, yeah. of, of the year. So <laughs> yeah, so get off our ass. Exactly. Flavor was another book that's not going to get mentioned anywhere. That was a great public like book that they published. Um, yeah, they just this year didn't get. Top one and two, and top one and two might be surprising for you, so let's get into them. At number two, overall publisher in 2018, we have DC Comics. Shocked. Shocked as much as you all. cannot believe, I mean, I'm a huge Image Comics fan, and 
I could not believe that even uh, before we like accumulated and brought all of our opinions together on this, I could not believe that I personally had a more impactful comic book experience from DC Comics than Image Comics this year. It was a a lot to handle, a lot to wrap your mind around. I was shocked by it. They did so many new comic books, so many. They did new characters. They did old characters rebooted. They're doing new stories with authors that I really love, and I think that's the real key thing. Mm -hmm. I think there's some books that, like, really won our hearts this year. For me, Teen Titans, when they re-upped and they brought uh, Crash, or sorry, is that her name? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or Crush. Crush. Crush um, Lobo's daughter in at at, uh, issue 20 of Teen Titans, which we covered kind of as a number one. Teen Titans has been fucking phenomenal. It's insane how good it is. Justice League Dark, Heroes in Crisis, The Milk Wars, all of the young animal stuff that they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that we're including Vertigo and what they do. DC does now put their logo on Vertigo, and they've embraced it more as like a DC brand than they used to back in years prior. Um, if you do, that just opens up a whole other can of worms with all of the Sandman shit that they've been doing. Yeah. Um, all that kind of stuff uh, that's there. Uh, they have just been... Even the Batman series, all of... I mean, not all of them, the, mm-hmm. the random ones that we've read. Yeah, Batman, Batman Damned. Detective Comics. Yeah, King One- of Fears. One of the craziest things to me is that at the beginning of 2018, if you would have told me, what's the what's the DC book you're going to be most hyped about at the end of the year? I would say, hey, they're bringing on Brian Michael Bendis, who's going to be writing Superman, and that's just going to like change the way I think about DC. He was dropped in the puddle of comics this this year the the impact he had on that character and that series was completely negligible to me meanwhile um tom king's writing on mr miracle and like we said heroes in crisis which has been riveting mm-hmm. issue to issue has been great and then we've gotten some great access points into classics like batman that have made it accessible for users to or not users, Jesus Christ. <laughs> audience people. That have made it accessible to audience people to jump into these stories right. and get back into superheroes that like were completely convoluted before. I feel like we were consistently reviewing DC books that is just like, Jesus Christ, how tedious does Mo- every it was DC comic me- metal book have shit to be? that was happening? All the DC metal stuff was kind right. of where we entered in, even just starting this podcast was mm-hmm. all of that, which is too convoluted. We should not forget that DC launched about eight new straight up characters, uh, Silencer, Damage, The Terrifics. Um, sideways. Uh, sideways. Yeah. Um, Brimstone. Th- yeah. Most of those I did not follow. Silencer's covers are looking amazing. Yep. Terrifics was fun to follow. Yeah. Um, but... Cool for them for trying out a bunch of new characters. Some of them landed, some of them didn't. We covered most of those books. We kind of fell off as they got a little zanier. <laughs> um, but uh, Snagglepuss was a really fun thing they did yeah. uh, this year, which like actually got a lot of critical acclaim. We didn't stay up on it, but um, did great. One of the things that they should totally be praised for is destroying the variant cover market by releasing simultaneous virgin covers with ever cover they do. Uh, last week we covered uh, the Batman Who Laughs. That virgin cover was fucking insane. Yep. Their virgin covers have been insane, and they're the same price as the normal cover. So props to DC for disrupting the variant market. Yeah, um, really showing Marvel how it's done. Mm-hmm. It's been great, yeah. So happy to give them uh, their due. DC has been as good as when they were New Fifty Two. Bold statement, <laughs> right? I don't know. I mean, they were they were fun this year. I yeah, think this they were a ton of fun. I've enjoyed DC more than I have in the last five six years this this past year. All right, and the <laughs> even bigger surprise uh, for number one, published- Jinx World. Yes, <laughs> Jinx, <laughs> Jinx World. <laughs> For 2018, no, <laughs> that's a, that's a terrible, nope. terrible, sad joke. Uh, that's not a good thing that DC did this year. All right, 2018 number one publisher of the year is Marvel Comics. 
Um, this is a hot take by us, a, sh- a huge hot take. Um, this was consensus, complete consensus by all of us when we when we said it. Um, we just were like, yep, that's that's right. When they released books like Venom, Hulk, Shuri, Iceman, um, The Avengers, uh, the Uncanny X-Men that they've been doing, all of the... Cosmic Ghost Rider. Yeah, Cosmic Ghost Rider is, like, huge up there. Um, all of the colors for the... X, I think I already said that, but X-Men Black was amazing. And we are giving them a lot of props for all of the diversity in not only uh, characters, but also writers and illustrators that, as Marvel... Um, they take a lot of flack for doing, and they still went with it because diversity pays off in any type of creativity thing that you do, and Marvel knows that, and, and I we want to give them props for, for doing that. They could be better. They can always be better, but I think that they, they definitely need to be um, praised for dipping into that diversity. Yeah, I yep. think everyone could always be better at doing those sorts of things and doing them in different creative ways that honors um, the cultures and personalities that represent those different groups and demographics. But to be such a large publisher and being one of the most impactful publishers doing those sorts of things is just, I can't put into words how much I think that not only means to me as a reader, but means to these other younger people who are doing these things. Like, the you know, independent comic books have... Not much to gain or lose by showing diversity in comic books. And even still, I don't think they did it a lot this year. Given there were some great independent comic books that had some great diverse characters. But the fact that you're having like Iron Man spinoff character and Riri Williams that's like a young super genius yeah. black woman is means a lot more. And it's just like more bold for, for Marvel, to, mm-hmm. Marvel to have made moves like that right you have uh miles morales and you have everyone on the uh exiles team is a person of color Mm -hmm. or a female they took a lot of chances with their characters and their creators except for uh anime wolverine (laughs) yeah yeah, right anime wolverine i'm (laughs) well maybe he's asian i guess (laughs) (laughs) well i'll say too that um we did an episode early in the year where comic book public was giving marvel a lot of guff for rebooting all their comic books and going like back to basics and everyone was saying hey that's a cheap out you're doing all these great things with diverse characters and you're going back to like all these white guys who have like held the mantle of all these characters forever like why would you revert back on all these awesome unique things that you're doing and marvel answered the call by hiring unique voices to tell their stories and still including and finding places for those uh, really cool female characters and uh, minority characters that we fell in love with. Uh, So giving Ewing a book, giving Nendia Korofor a book, giving uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates like a book. The biggest book Marvel has. Yeah, and and, and and keeping him on on his old book uh, too. Credit to Marvel for doing like tiny things. That Thanos annual... Um, was awesome. Century was like we already covered that, but it was like super fun uh, to have happen. Rogan uh, Gambit was a, like a fun little thing. The Fantastic Four and now the wedding uh, that just happened. Um, this is all stuff that I just didn't think would be coming out of my mouth that I would ever give two flying fucks about because uh, it's like so pandering. But Marvel just made such a nice pivot to include their alt fans this year. Yeah, uh, which is us. That's what this podcast is like. Kind of heavy on Mm -hmm. that um, they earned the number one slot this year. Great Creators Unleashed, which is something that Unleashed, I mean, (laughs) which is something that I don't think you see in with with characters that are such huge cultural presences that you're going to do something really weird with the Hulk and you're going to do something really bizarre with uh, this new Fantastic Four high-profile run and all the other things that they did with all these characters who have had these really concrete canons in the Marvel Universe and so many of them got turned on their heads this year. Yeah. So bravo for doing unique things and including diverse sets of characters and diverse writers to create those things. That is it for our uh, first part of our Best Of uh, Top 5 series. 
So um, stick around for next week. We're going to go through some more top fives. Um, if you like this, it's more of it. If you didn't like this, well, it gets so much better. So then <laughs> just stick around because it's like... We learn from our mistakes this week. And yeah. We improve upon them next week. Totally. Totally dialed in. Uh, yeah, everything just gets like fucking amazing next week. Um, next week to look forward to, we're going to do um, top five image, top five big two books, and then top, end with the top five authors. So this is our year-end special. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for uh, being uh, listeners. Um, all the jazz of the stuff we say at the end. Yep. Edited yeah. by Matt Hodap. First uh, Issue Club is our podcast name. We have music by Primary Color Music. We are recorded in KCUR Studios. We live in Kansas City. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all the other things. And we are a proud member of the Fountain City Frequency family. Fuck, I fucked it up with all those Fs. Oh, you did it. Family of top five podcasts. There we go. Uh, uh, is that it? Yeah. This is uh, Budget King. My top five words of uh, 2018 have been uh, go fuck yourself, Mike. So it was like me, like telling me off. Those are the five words I didn't, I liked. <laughs> that you liked or that you said the most of? Uh, yeah. My Spotify playlist said I said those the most to me, to myself. <laughs> This is Greg Lichtai signing off. Oh, wait. I used my name, Mike. I meant to say Budget King. Fuck my life. Such a hard life being Budget King and Mike at the same time. <laughs> Just the constant battle in your brain right. must be deafening. My name is Caitlin Morosic, and I'm going to show myself out.